Government is all about the ruling of the country. Who ruled? How did they rule? How did they get things done? Ultimately, Henry VII made decisions using a small number of councillors that he trusted implicitly. But government isn't as simple as getting things done with a small number of councillors. Government can be split into three sections. The council, court and the royal household and parliament. In this pod, we're going to explore each section and the role it played in Henry VII's reign. The council is the first part of government that we're going to discuss. It had three functions. To advise the king, to administer the realm and to make legal judgments. In total, there are around 227 men on the council. Although in practice, only six or seven of those played an active role in the council. There were three different types of councillors. Members of the nobility. This was people like Lord Downby. Although the council didn't really include magnates. Instead, it was about people who were loyal to Henry. The second group of councillors were churchmen. People like John Morton and Richard Fox. These were people who had legal training and were excellent administrators. Now what that means is that when a decision was made, they were very effective at ensuring that decision was followed through. Remember, England was a large country to rule. It was difficult to ensure laws were being followed centrally. So Henry relied on good administrators to ensure government rules were followed. The third group was laymen. These were usually members of the gentry or lawyers. A good example of this was Sir Reginald Bray. They were highly effective people and Henry relied on them quite a lot. Now Henry wasn't the first king to rely upon lawyers to help him administer the country. Edward IV had begun that trend, but Henry had carried it on and became increasingly reliant on them. As well as having advisers on the council, Henry also had advisers that did not fall into those three categories. The best example of this was Lady Margaret Beaufort, Henry's mother and his closest confidant. As a woman, she couldn't hold an official position on the council, but she was just as important as any man who held a seat on that council, if not more important. She held huge influence over Henry and the decisions that were being made during his reign. These different groups made up Henry's key and closest advisors. These were the people who helped Henry to make the decisions and to get things done. Now the council itself was a permanent body which met regularly, although not all councillors met together all of the time. For example, Bray and Dudley often met in London to discuss matters and follow through on decisions while the king was away around the country with court. 
meaning that other courtiers and other members of the council weren't present. This wasn't uncommon. This happened in every king's reign and was nothing different to what was going on under Edward IV or under any other monarch. What was new was the council learned which Henry VII established. Their job was to maintain the king's revenue and exploit his prerogative rights. Now, prerogative rights are the rights of a monarch that they do not need parliament for. The council learned is often referred to by historians as being a little bit dodgy. It was not a court of law, so it did not hold the authority which came with that. But it acted as one by giving out judgments. And the reason it's seen as dodgy is because people didn't have the right to appeal. Now, what happened is that it caused a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and anger amongst the population, particularly towards the latter end of Henry's reign. This was because the council was responsible for the policy of bonds and recognances, which made them so unpopular. With a bond being the debt they owed to Henry, if they did not follow strict rules, and the recognance being the recognition of that debt, which they would have to sign. This left often innocent people in crippling debt, which they couldn't hope to pay off. In fact, the council learned was so unpopular that after Henry VII's death, Henry VIII had the leaders of the council, Sir Richard Empson and Edmund Dudley, executed when he became king. He also disbanded the council learned. He knew this would be a popular move and it shows how unpopular the council and its leaders had been. Henry VIII wanted a break from the past. The second and perhaps most common part of government was court and the royal household. The Tudor times is the time of absolute monarchy. Henry held ultimate power, so those who were in his good books would hold the power, and those who were not, would not. Court was a place where people tried to get into Henry's good books, to gain his favour. If you could gain the favour of a king, then you could gain his ear and therefore hold influence over the country. People who lived at court were known as courtiers. They enjoyed paid positions or the right to receive free food. And there were different levels to court too. The household was responsible for looking after people who were at court. These were personal and catering requirements overseen by the Lord Steward. The politically important part of court, however, was the chamber. This was overseen by the Lord Chamberlain, who would be an experienced nobleman and a member of the King's Council. The Lord Chamberlain often spoke on behalf of the King in official capacities. They were also responsible for organising court. The importance of this role helps to explain what a blow it was to Henry in 1495 when his Lord Chamberlain, Sir William Stanley, was involved in a treasonous plot. He supported Perkin Warbeck and for it, Stanley was executed on the 10th of February, 1495. 
After the plot, Henry closed ranks. It's important to remember how untrusting Henry was of all of his advisors, and even more so after Stanley's betrayal. Henry wanted to ensure that only his most trusted advisors would be involved in the big decisions, so nobody could threaten his position. This led Henry to create the Privy Chamber, another dramatic change in the style of government. This was a private area which Henry could retreat to and only his most, most trusted servants could get into. This made it more difficult for people to gain the king's favour and trust. If you lost the king's favour, it was more difficult to regain that as well. The final branch of government that I would like to talk about is Parliament. So Parliament was set up much like it is today. A House of Commons and a House of Lords. The difference being that in the 15th and 16th centuries, the House of Lords was the more important of the two houses, whereas today the House of Commons is much more important. So in the 16th century, the House of Lords was made up of religious people, bishops, abbots and other religious leaders. These were known as the Lords Spiritual. The second group within the House of Lords was the Lords Temporal and these were the nobility. While the Commons was made up of two MPs for each county and representatives from the two universities, Oxford and Cambridge. During Henry's reign, Parliament was called seven times. Five of those Parliaments met in the first ten years of his reign. This tells us that Henry was less secure on the throne during those early years. He felt he needed Parliament. He needed their approval. Whereas in the latter years of his reign, he only called Parliament twice. The first two Parliaments Henry called passed numerous acts of attainder against Yorkists, which allowed Henry to confiscate land and titles, which could then be given out to loyal supporters as a reward. The first Parliament was between November 1485 and March 1486. As well as the acts of attainder, it granted Henry poundage and tonnage for life. Most of Henry's other parliaments were for extraordinary revenue. Henry often raised extraordinary revenue, although it was not supposed to happen. Remember, extraordinary revenue was only supposed to be raised in times of war. Henry had to promise during his last parliament that he would not raise extraordinary revenue again. Henry didn't exactly transform government with the changes that he made, but he did exploit the existing structures. He made sure that he had competent people helping him to run the country and that whatever was going on within government, it always worked to his advantage. While this wasn't always popular, it was always successful. <laughs> 